Turn your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. If you're using one of the blue uh, chair Bibles, it's on page 986. As you turn there, I want you to think about this question. How do we change the world? Now, normally when we think in those terms... We think of big things and big people. So we think of big events. And we think of celebrities and famous people. People who are immensely talented and are well-liked by everyone, it seems. And the people that really change the world are these big personality people. And if we're thinking of biblical examples, we might think of Pentecost. And at one time, 3,000 people coming to faith at once. But what I want us to see this morning is that if this is what we think of when we think of the world being changed for Jesus Christ... then I think there's a great temptation to what I think of as an idolatry of bigness and flash. That if something is going to be worthwhile, if something's actually going to bring about change, it must be huge. It must be big. It must be flashy. But as we continue on in our study of the book of 1 Thessalonians, In our text today, Paul is going to reference that the Thessalonian church changed the world. And what is going to be completely absent from that description is any bigness and flash. No numbers, no big personalities, just a group of normal, ordinary people people. And as we look at what Paul says to the Thessalonian church and how they changed the world, I want us to see how God is calling us to be a part of this local church, of the church in America, of the church across the world, in very normal ordinary ways that by God's calculations lead to a transformed world. So our big idea this morning if you're following along in the outline provided in your bulletin is this, we transform the world by being disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. So let's look at our text this morning. We're going to begin in verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And we're going to look at being imitators of Paul and Jesus. Let's look at verse 6, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, this is a continuation from last week where Paul is describing the salvation of the Thessalonians. And here, Paul describes life after conversion of the Thessalonians as being imitators of us and of the Lord. We're reminded what Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. This is one of the normal ways that Paul thought about the Christian life. There is a pattern here of the Christian calling people to imitate them, but only as far as they imitate Christ. It is presenting a pattern of discipleship. And in one sense, this is at the core of what it means to be a mature Christian and to be a Christian leader. This is what leaders, what parents, what people who have been believers for some time are called to do. We are called to lead people to follow Christ in the same way as we follow Christ. And sometimes I think we make leadership too complex when simply at its core, it is showing people, teaching people how to follow Jesus in the same way that we do. We are to show people what it's like to follow Jesus. And he can say that they were imitators because, look at the next part of verse 6, you receive the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. They believed the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ died and risen again, they believed that even though there was much affliction, we looked at that last week, the riots in the streets at the birth of this young church. But not only did they believe in much affliction, but when they did, they had the joy of the Holy Spirit. Their joy in believing the gospel was a demonstration that the Holy Spirit had caused them to be born again. Again, Paul encourages them in their faith in that he sees that they have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, that God is at work in their lives, in that they believed in spite of much affliction, and that they did so with joy. But I want us to focus here on the imitation part. Because again, as we understand what we are called to do, I think this idea of imitation is helpful. Because it speaks to learning and changing in every aspect of our lives. Last year, there was a book that came out for pastors called 15 Things Seminary Couldn't Teach Me. Now notice the title wasn't Didn't Teach Me. And the point of the book is to recognize for pastors specifically that there are some things you cannot learn in a classroom, no matter how good that classroom is. And there's application for us in that the Christian life cannot be limited to classroom stuff. 
There is more to learning than what you are taught in Bible studies, in small groups, and in Sunday schools. There is a need to imitate. There is need to see the Christian life lived out. It is essential to have the knowledge. But if I don't know what to do with that knowledge, or I don't have a pattern of how this knowledge should change me, then I'm not going to grow. We need to see the truth lived out And we need to see how others live out their faith. We see this all the time even in the business world. You have a newly graduated worker at your company. They have a lot of knowledge. But there are some things they need to learn on the job. Some of you, someone just popped into your head. And that's okay. <laughs> But if we understand that in our jobs, how do we not see that in something more important in our Christian life? That we need relationships to imitate. We need to grow in actually living out what we've learned. This is why a church family is essential to growing to be more like Jesus. Not only do you need other people to fulfill the commands of Jesus, love one another, you need that one another to love, but in community, in real community, we see how others obey Jesus. We see how the gospel affects how you run your business or how you live at work. We need to imitate those who are godly as they imitate Christ. So this is the beginning of transformation. This is the beginning of God's process of transformation, that we are transformed by the word and by imitating those who are godly. But that's not where the chain ends. Let's see in the next verses what happens after the Thessalonians became imitators of Paul and Jesus. And we're going to see that now the imitators become the example. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. The Thessalonian believers, even though they are young in their faith, this church, by the time Paul is writing this, has not been around a long time. But they have begun to mature. They have not stayed in just the imitation stage. But they've moved on in their imitation to become themselves examples. And not just in the city of Thessalonica. Look what the text says 
you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Now, if you don't know, when he mentions Macedonia and Achaia, these were the northern and southern provinces into which Greece at that time was divided. And so this is north Greece and south Greece. We might say all the believers in eastern and western Washington. Now that shows how far it's gone, but it also shows the totality here. When we say eastern and western Washington, it highlights the whole thing. So what Paul is saying when he's saying both to the north and to the south, he's saying throughout your country, you've become an example. Through their conversion and then living out an imitating life of faith, this church has affected their whole country. And in fact, Paul states it with a little hyperbole there at the end of the verse. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so we need not say anything. There is some hyperbole, but it highlights the truth that the example of the Thessalonian church has gone forth all over the known world at that time. But notice what is going out throughout the country. Paul isn't saying what I did among you is going throughout the country. Or what your leaders did among you is not going out through the country. What I want you to see is that it's the example of that church family and the normal, ordinary members of that church. It's a reminder to us that we're not looking for the next famous person or the next super skilled and charismatic person to spread the gospel. God doesn't need a superman to be the one to spread the gospel. God uses normal, everyday people and normal, everyday churches to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, he will use leaders, he will use individuals. For example, we know that a guy named Aristarchus from the Thessalonian church went with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. In Acts 19, in Acts 20, in Acts 27, this guy Aristarchus is mentioned as being with Paul on his missionary team. So apparently this guy was pretty great, but even he isn't mentioned. No one is singled out. And I think the point of that is to see God uses the normal, ordinary ways of discipleship. That's what creates change. That's what brings about transformation. We need to stop 
focusing on people who are so great and focus on the message that is great. We need to stop looking for the silver bullet that if we just find X, all these people will come to faith. Do you know what it was? It was normal people living out their faith, both by imitating those before them and being an example to those after them. And guess what? Anyone can do that. You don't need to be Billy Graham to do that. You don't need to be whoever your hero is or whatever profile you've created of, oh, if only this, then people would come to faith. God has called his churches, all of his believers, to be a part of this chain of discipleship that brings about transformation way farther than we can ever admit. But let's look now more specifically at this example that went out. What was the example that went out everywhere? In verses 9 to 10, we're going to see reports of gospel transformation. So let's look at verses 9 and 10 now. So he's just said, your faith, your example has gone out everywhere. Verse 9. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So let's look at the different aspects of Paul's description of the Thessalonian church here. But notice in the beginning of verse 9, for they themselves report, the people that have heard about them, this is what they are saying. So what are they saying? First of all, that they turn to God from idols. Verse 9, and how you turned to God from idols. The verb turn is a common word in your Bible that speaks about conversion. It's a very common way because it's a very... It's something you can picture in your mind pretty easily. So here's the word picture. You're walking in one direction. You turn around and you walk in the other direction. I know that's complex, but stay with me, everybody. So they were walking towards idols, and they turned away to the living and true God. This is a wonderful picture. The turning away is a picture of repentance, leaving that old life, leaving that sin, and repenting and confessing that sin. But then there's also the turn to something. You not only turn away from something, you turn to something, and that is the turn of faith. You turn away from your sin, you turn away from your idols, and you turn to God in faith. Now, one cultural thing I want to mention here of why this is a big deal. The world of the Thessalonians and the world of much of the Bible is a polytheistic world, meaning many gods. And in that system, it's a pretty easy system to just add another god. 
So you hear some new teaching, some new thing about a new God you've never heard of. Well, you just add him to your buddy gods. And then they have friends and then they hang out. That's not what the Thessalonians did. They didn't do what the culture told them they could do and just sort of add Jesus into their pantheon, add him to their little idol shelf that they had in their house. No, the conversion came when they rejected those things and they turned to faith in Christ. We, most of us probably don't have a little shelf at home with a bunch of little statues on it. At least ones that are idolic idols. <laughs> Maybe you have statues at home. I have no problem with that. Okay. Maybe we don't have that. But what I see a lot is people just trying to add a little bit of Jesus into their life. Just add Jesus to what's already there. And not recognize that they need to turn away from those things. To turn away from those idols. Those idols of our culture. Idols of addiction. Idols of sin. Idols of money. Idols of leisure time. We may not have a little statue for it, but it's not good enough just to sprinkle a little Jesus into your life. You need to turn from those things in repentance. You need to give your ultimate love to Christ. This is where real change happens. I mean, that's what people can see on the outside. We're going to get to more of that a little bit with the Thessalonian church. But the change that people can see is true transformation. When your faith in Jesus actually changes how you live, that's real transformation. It's easy to give lip service. It's easy to just attend on Sunday. But when all seven days of your week are transformed by the gospel, powerful and that shows you've turned away from that old life and you've turned to Jesus so where is your love is it is it in the idols of this world or is it in Jesus what does your neighbor love above all else and how are you going to show him or her that Jesus is God that he is the true and living God who satisfies and gives life. Paul continues on in this verse that as they have turned to God from idols, what they did changed. Look back at verse 9. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. When we turn from our idols in repentance to God in faith, that begins a lifelong pursuit of serving God. Of working out our faith, of laboring in love that we saw last week, of where what we do changes. 
I mean, this is why we see that serving God and living according to what he has said is the best evidence that someone has truly converted. Because if you really believe something, it'll change how you live. And the Thessalonians showed their faith that their conversion was real by engaging in loving obedience and service to God. There's a simple truth here. We can't be an example to others if we don't serve Jesus with our words and actions. If your faith doesn't change you, you can't be an example. It's helpful to remember James chapter 2 here. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Our conversion to Christ must begin a lifelong pursuit of serving God. How else will people know that we actually believe what we say we believe? And, and if we don't actually believe what we say we believe, why would they want to follow our example? In addition to faith showing itself in action, the Thessalonian church was an example to the world because finally they waited for Jesus. Look at verse 10. So you've turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. If when talking about serving God takes us back to last week's passage about the work of faith and the labor of love, here waiting for Jesus takes us back to what Paul said earlier about having a steadfastness of hope. And that a way we are an example to a world of our conversion, of our transformation, is that we wait in hope for Jesus. And what is this hope? And to wait for his son from heaven. Jesus is our hope in that he is the Savior sent by God from heaven to save us from our sins. We wait because he was raised from the dead. And therefore our hope is that all who have been forgiven and come to Jesus in faith will themselves be raised from the dead. And he is the one we wait who delivers us from the wrath to come. That through faith in Jesus, we have a hope. Because when we are forgiven by him, we no longer face the just wrath and punishment by God that our sins deserve. Now again, think about what we talked about last week. The chaotic and hostile beginning of this church. Of the Thessalonian church. 
church. Notice, first of all, that the wrath to come is not in reference to the wrath of those people. Paul isn't saying, being, don't be afraid of those people. He's saying, the wrath you need to be worried about is God's just wrath. And when you understand that, then what people do to you just becomes less. But also, we need to see how hope in Christ grounds us and holds us in our steadfast hope. That again, no matter what's going on around us, we wait on the Son who saved us and who will ultimately take us to be with him when he returns or when we die. When we wait in hope, even that can be an example to others. Again, when we think about the beginnings of this church, they had a lot to be worried about their future. Their city was hostile against them in ways we will never understand. But that they could have hope that they could wait for Jesus, that they could stand firm in the most hostile times. Not because they thought they were so great, because they knew they'd been delivered from their sin and God's wrath by Jesus, and they knew that one day they would see their Savior face to face in eternal life. That's the report about them. That was the example that went like wildfire throughout their world. Their lives were transformed. They had hope in their future, even though their present was chaotic and hostile. And again, I want to point out that these are ordinary, normal people. No matter your circumstance, you can serve the Lord. No matter your circumstance, you can wait in hope for your Savior. You don't need a coliseum full of people to do that. And what Paul is telling us and what God is telling us through Paul is that's what's changed, that's what changes the world. I want you to notice what was not in the report. There are no numbers. There are no individuals brought out. The example that went out across their country was normal, ordinary faithfulness of a disciple. It was of people imitating the godly, learning from those who brought the gospel to them, and then becoming examples to others. 
they became disciples of Jesus. And through their words and their lives, they became examples to the next generation of disciples. This is how God changes the world. And when we understand that this is how God changes the world, we can see our part in it. It's not just the super talented. It's not the people who speak to thousands. It's being a disciple and making disciples. They didn't change the world because of their numbers or their status and influence. They changed it through the faithful, ordinary life of a follower of Jesus. A couple points of application as we close up this morning. Don't neglect what is ordinary and true for visions of grandeur. Let me come back to Pentecost. Because I use as an example of this big moment in the church's history. Now, first of all, let me point out that Pentecost only happened once. And there aren't recorded of other Pentecosts that kept happening. So let's recognize that this is sort of the grand opening of the Christian church. But on top of that, and probably more important, I want you to remember the details of that giant group of 3,000 people. When you go back and you read through Acts chapter 2, you see 15 references to people or people groups that live outside of Jerusalem. Fifteen. Some of those are countries, some of those are people groups. So we're not even told how many different little towns in those places these people came from. What I want you to remember, and we're not told the specifics, but those 3,000 did not stay in Jerusalem. They went back home. And so you probably had 20 here, 50 there, maybe 100 there if it was a big city. But quickly, that crowd dispersed. How many Elamites went back home? And how many towns were the Elamites from? How many people who believed went back to Cappadocia? We don't know. But I want you to see, even in that big event, what was spawned out of Pentecost was a bunch of normal, everyday people becoming a bunch of normal, ordinary churches where they lived. Pentecost was not the birth of a megachurch. Pentecost was the birth of one church spread out over that part of the world. You don't have to be flashy. You don't have to be talented. You don't have to be polished in your delivery. What you need to do is be faithful. That's the next thing I want to highlight for application. Be an imitator 
and become an example. This is the pattern that the Thessalonian church showed us. This is the pattern that changed the world. A bunch of normal people imitating the person who brought them the gospel and then becoming examples to others. I've used this word picture before. I want to use it again because I think it's very helpful. It's at least helpful to me. I want you to picture you have one hand going forward. And that hand is extended towards the people that have taught you about the faith, maybe that that shared the gospel with you the first time, the people that you look up to as mature, godly people. So you've got one hand forward. And it's a life of imitating them as they imitate Christ. But you also have a hand backwards. See, sometimes I think we put both hands forward (laughs) and we just try to keep learning more and more and more. And some of that's good. And sometimes there are times where you need both hands forward. And this is me stretching that metaphor. But other times, you get out of balance and you need to have that hand backwards to those who do not yet know Christ, those who are younger and haven't been following Christ as long as you. It's a simple pattern, and it's a pattern that everyone can do. Parents, grandparents, you hold your hand out to those who are godly. You have your hand back to your kids and your grandkids. At your job, you have your hand out to those who can teach you the word of God accurately and who demonstrate it in their lives. But you have your hand back to your co-workers who don't know Christ. We're out of balance. We want other people to do that. But what the Thessalonian church says is that this is something for all of us. It's something we can all do. But again, when you see the description, it wasn't about how great Paul was or how great Aristarchus was. It was that the church, the collection of normal people, God used to change the world. This is how we change the world, one person at a time. And finally, third application is this, be transformed by the gospel. There's a wonderful description of the gospel in these verses. We turn from our idols in repentance. We turn to faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior sent by God from heaven to deliver us from our sin and the just punishment of God and for whom we wait for his return to take us into eternal life to be with our God forever. If you're still walking towards your idols, let me tell you today, turn around. Repent of that sin, turn away from those things, and turn toward Jesus and find forgiveness 
find reconciliation to the holy God who loves you and created you, and find the guaranteed hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this letter to the Thessalonian church. We thank you for these verses that show us that you changed the world through normal people. That in being disciples, in imitating the godly and imitating Christ himself, we lead others to a life of faith, a life of serving God, waiting for his son to return. God, that we would all each of us understand today who we are to imitate and who we are to be an example to. And that through that simple pattern of being a disciple who makes disciples, that you would use this church and these people to transform your world for Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen.